Have you ever been disappointed when something didn't turn out the way that it should, your promises that were made were not fulfilled, expectations were not met? At this time of the year, that kind of thing can happen, and some people have even turned it into a business. Uh, I don't know if you've seen these or not, but these are fake gift boxed boxes that you can put your gift in and people look at the outside and get disappointed basically because these are some crazy unusual and unwanted gifts but here's some examples uh this is a fake box for a fake product called family blank ease and so you take this one blanket and you share it among your whole family has one arm one sleeve on each side and you can put up to eight people in it according to this and here's another one i kind of like this one it's called the knapsack which is a sleep hood so you just throw this over your head wherever you are and you can take a nap now i didn't like this the second example is during a worship service somebody has put one over their head so that they can take a nap in church. People take naps in church without that. I can tell you that for sure. Uh, this is the last one. This is kind of funny. It's my first fire. Explore the wonders of fire lighting ages two and above. So I especially like that it comes with its own little gas can so that you can give that to your toddler. But these are all fake gifts. And of course, the idea is disappoint them up front, make them laugh. But then there's something good inside. And sometimes it works the other way as well. You might see a, a present or a gift that's in a box and say, oh, wow, that's awesome. And then you open the box and they were just using the box. It was for something else, but it's all about unmet expectations and the promise of something that doesn't get fulfilled. That's what we're going to talk about from today's scripture. This is an example. This is from 2 Peter 2.19. It says, they promise freedom, talking about the false teachers that were showing up in these congregations, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption, for you are a slave to whatever controls you. So what's happening there is they're saying you can be free, but the teaching that they were giving and the life that they were living showed that actually they were promising nothing but slavery. And this is a theme that is consistent throughout the New Testament. Here's the Here's Jesus in the Gospel of John. I tell you most solemnly that anyone who chooses a life of sin is trapped in a dead-end life and is, in fact, a slave. And then it goes on to say, Jesus does, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. If you're enslaved, if you're a servant, then you can't come and go as you please. But the son, he's in charge. He's the heir. So if he sets you free, you will be free indeed. So that's the, pro that's the promise of the gospel is freedom. And these false teachers were coming into these congregations and promising freedom, but inside their teaching, the result of their teaching was nothing but 
slavery. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Welcome to Cornerstone Online. I'm Pastor Brian Foreman, and this is our weekly experience where we inspire and equip you to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, knowing that following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life. If you're new to Cornerstone, I hope that you'll let us know who you are so that we can welcome you personally and stay in touch with you and encourage you along in your spiritual journey. One way that you can do that is text the word NEW, N-E-W, to our church number, 603-225-2550. We would love to be able to welcome you personally and send you encouragement for your spiritual journey. We are in a series called Stirred Up where we are looking through the book of 2 Peter and the whole theme is to make progress, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that you are here today and look forward to seeing this happen for you. Before we jump into the passage that we're gonna look at in detail today, I wanna to put it in context so you see how the letter that Peter wrote is progressing so far. So I'll start with who Peter is. Peter is the apostle. He was uh, one of the leaders of the, of the apostles of Jesus' original disciples. And he is writing as a pastor, as a, an, an under shepherd for Jesus. It says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse one, Peter speaking, therefore I urge elders among you as your fellow elder, shepherd the flock of God among you. That's the perspective that he's writing from, a pastoral perspective. And shepherds care for their flock, feed their flock, and protect their flock. And he's interested in protecting his flock because the main problem that they're dealing with in this letter is corruption from false teachers within. There are people that are infiltrating into the congregations and teaching false doctrine. Here's a, here it is described in 2 Peter chapter 2. There will be false teachers among you. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. So Peter is writing to protect the flock because he doesn't want many to fall prey to the false teachers. And the core application that he's making is that they are supposed to be making progress. The teachers were teaching them that they didn't need to make progress, that they didn't need to grow, that it was pointless and unnecessary. And Peter is making the point that, oh no, actually you do need to make progress. You do need to grow. That's how, how that's why Jesus saved you so that you can make progress progress. Here's how it's described in the first chapter. These are the promises talking about the gospel, that who Jesus is, what he did, and what it means for us. These are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature. In other words, he's opened up godliness. He's opened up freedom to you. So he encourages them, don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given. You keep going. And the key truth that he is uh, emphasizing over and over again, and this is the main body of the letter, is that there actually is accountability. The false teachers were saying, live how you want. It doesn't matter because there's not going to be any accountability. And Peter says, oh no, there actually is. We know that there's accountability because that's the testimony of scripture. They saw Jesus 
in person in his exalted state on the Mount of Transfiguration. So they know that he is the king and that he's going to return and he's going to hold the whole world accountable. Also, they have the, the, the prophetic scriptures of the Old Testament. The testimony of the apostles is found in the New Testament. The testimony of the prophets is found in the Old Testament. And together, the testimony of the scriptures is that there is going to be accountability. There is going to be accountability. These two aspects are tied up in 2 Peter 1.19. Because of that experience, the eyewitness testimony of the apostles, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets, which is included in our Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. The second point he makes, and this is what we looked at last week, is that there is accountability because that is perfectly in line with God's character. If you look at the past and how God handled situations, he held people accountable. He gives the example of the angels, the days of Noah, and the days of Lot. And this is the summary that he gives. So God knows how to rescue the godly from evil trials, and he knows how to hold the feet of the wicked to the fire until judgment day. There is going to be accountability. And then in this section, whereas that was focused on the past, this is focused on the present. He said there's definitely going to be accountability because the false teacher's evil conduct their evil actions demand it. What kind of judge would God be if he let the guilty go free? We don't consider a judge in our world a good judge if he winks at sin, if he lets lawbreakers go free. And so he says in the same way, we aren't we we know that God is a good and just judge and if you look at what the false teachers are doing, there's no way that he can be good and righteous and not hold them to account. And so this passage actually emphasizes how bad they are, but I'm going to give it a more positive contrasting spin in the middle of it because the false teachers are leading people into a type of slavery to their own desires, but what Jesus is promising in the gospel is freedom, and that's what we're talking about today. And the bottom line in this passage is that sin, repackaged as freedom, is still slavery. Sin, repackaged as freedom, is still slavery. You see, there are things that appeal to us that we look at and we say, oh yeah, if I could just do whatever I wanted, then I would be free. But the reality is that very often those things that promise freedom actually lead us into a path that leads to slavery. And the gospel promises true freedom the one who the sun sets free is free indeed. And the practical aspect that we'll look at at the end, the challenge, the way to apply it is to recognize and reject the false promises of freedom. We'll be able to identify those promises of freedom that are actually false promises. And we're going to be able to, as a result, reject them so that we are not enslaved. The Apostle Peter is stirring up their memory of 
the true gospel, the gospel that sets people free. And he wants them to continue on that path, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what he's emphasizing with his shepherd's heart, his pastor's heart in this passage. All right, so let's dive into this passage that we're going to be looking at today. It's 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 10 to 22. Second half of verse 10, all the way to the end, talking about the false teachers. These people are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at supernatural beings without so much as trembling. But the angels, who are far greater in power and strength, do not dare to bring from the Lord a charge of blasphemy against those supernatural beings. These false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. They scoff at things they do not understand, and like animals, they will be destroyed. Their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. They commit adultery with their eyes and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin and they are well trained in greed. They live under God's curse. They have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. These people are as useless as dried up springs or as mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting. With an appeal to twisted sexual desires, they lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command that they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb. A dog returns to its vomit. And another says a washed pig returns to the mud. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we read your word, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would show us how it applies, that you would give us insight so that we know exactly how you're speaking to us and exactly what we need to do with what we hear. I pray, Lord, that you will set people free. I know it is your design and desire that we be free, and you paid the ultimate price in the blood of your Son so that we might experience that freedom. May that be the case for myself, for everyone who's watching and listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So at the very beginning of this letter, Peter has laid out the freedom that we have because of Jesus Christ. Again, 
by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received this all by coming to know him, talking about Jesus, of course. So he emphasizes, you have been set free. You've been given the opportunity to share in the, the divine nature, meaning you get to live a godly life. You're not enslaved by sin anymore. And it's these promises that he's talking about when he says that you're enabled to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by evil desires. And so he writes to them who are being pulled back into that corruption, pulled back into that old lifestyle by these false teachers because he wants to remind them, stir them up, and protect them. And so he's telling them, look, sin repackaged as freedom is still slavery. And in this first part, he makes uh, this contrast that true freedom is others-centered, not self-willed. True freedom is others-centered, not self-willed. Remember that the apostle Peter writing to the same group in First Peter described what it's like to be a pastor, to be a shepherd. He told the elders in the congregations to care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Care for them, shepherd them. What does that mean? Watch over them willingly, not grudgingly. Do it of your own free will. Not for what you'll get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. He encourages them to be other-centered, to be selfless in their ministry. And he con by contrast, you have these false teachers who are coming in. These people are proud and arrogant, daring to scoff at supernatural beings without so much as trembling. Now, <clears throat> there's a lot going on here in this verse. We looked at this a little bit in the previous message because one of the examples of God holding people to account in the past passage was the angels, for God did not even spare the angels who sinned. And we saw in a parallel passage from the very next book, the letter of Jude, he reminds them of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them. So here's how I tie that all together. True freedom is other-centered. It's not selfish and self-centered. A good shepherd, a good leader is going to serve the people that he has authority over. These false teachers come in and they're not concerned about the people that are under them. They are going to use them and abuse them. And they are saying, look, we're the authority. We get to decide whether things are right and wrong and we do whatever we want as opposed to humility and submitting to authority. And so he's saying, the apostle Peter is warning them that they're promising freedom by telling you, you can be your own authority, you can do whatever you want, but that is actually the path to slavery. The path to true freedom is serving others and being others-centered. So this is just the first example of sin being repackaged as freedom, but is still actually slavery. 
The second example that he gives is that true freedom is self-controlled, not impulse-driven. Self-controlled, not impulse-driven. Here's how he describes it in verse 12. These false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed. In other words, what sets us apart from the animals is in part our ability to reason, to think through things. Uh, and so he's saying these people are acting as if they are just animals driven by instinct. And the picture in the second half of this verse is the idea of, a, of an animal chasing its prey because these false teachers are preying on the people in these congregations. And in the midst of their hunting, they themselves ended up being hunted. So it's just this idea that true freedom is self-controlled, not impulse-driven. The false teachers are an example of just being driven by your impulses, being controlled by your impulses, whereas true freedom is found in self-control. He goes on to describe, they commit adultery with their eyes, and that reflects the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They have an insatiable desire to do wrong. So they themselves are doing wrong. They are controlled by their impulses and their lusts and their desires. And they're also preying on the people. They lure unstable people into sin and they are well trained in greed. They are using people for their own sexual gratification. They are using people to try to get money and out of them, and they are bad news. They are bad shepherds. They are false teachers. And then he gives an example from the Hebrew scriptures of someone it, who he thinks is in the same category. This is Balaam. They wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam. Now the story of Balaam is told in Numbers chapter 22 to 24. Go back and read it sometime. But basically he was a prophet, but he was willing and wanted to be hired for his prophesying. And it, uh, he is a prophet for hire, or as the message translation puts it in this chapter, a prophet turned profiteer. It's emphasizing the greed, that they are doing what they are doing for personal benefit. But the true gospel is that when you are transformed from the inside out by Jesus, he gives you the gift of self-control. You're not at the mercy of your urges anymore. You have self-control. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where it's describing the fruit of the Spirit, it lists among those the fruit of self-control, self-discipline. You are not at the mercy of your urges anymore. And the Apostle Paul emphasizes this to his apprentice Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And I love that trio because a lot of times we feel like we are at the mercy of our urges. We feel like we can't control ourselves in certain situations. But he says, nope, you have power, and you have love. A lot of 
times when we are at the mercy of our urges, we act in unloving ways because we are self-centered and trying to be self-satisfied. We have the power to overcome it. We have love for others that drains it of its impetus. And we have the gift given us the gift of self-discipline. So here's another way that sin repackaged as freedom is still slavery. The lie is that if I just get to do what I want and whatever feels good, whatever I want to do in the moment, if I can just do that, I'll be free. But really what's happening is that we are enslaved by our urges if we do that. And the promise of the gospel is that you have self-control. It is a gift given you as part of the promise of the gospel. And then the last example that he gives of sin being repackaged as freedom, but still ending up as slavery is this. This is a little bit longer. True freedom is the certain promise of the gospel of Jesus. That's what we've been saying all along. The certain promise of the gospel of Jesus, not the empty boasting of still corrupt charlatans. These false prophets were promising freedom, but they themselves were enslaved. And that's what Peter points out in the end of this passage. Throughout this whole book, he's been encouraging them to grow, to make progress. The more you grow like this, building upon what you've been given, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to be productive. You're going to make progress if you keep going on this path. In contrast, the false teachers brag about themselves with empty foolish boasting. The empty idea there is that it's a false promise. It's a box that promises this great thing. You open it up and it's an empty box. It's not what it promises. He says, these people are useless. Remember, as you continue to grow in your faith, make progress, build on your experience with the Lord Jesus Christ, you become useful in your faith. You become productive. In contrast, the false teachers, because they've got false doctrine and an unchristian ethic, they are useless as dried up springs or as mists blown away by the wind. And both of these are examples of false promises. A person who is thirsty goes to a spring, but finds that the spring is dried up. A land that needs rain, the clouds build up, but they're blown away and there is no rain. It's a false promise. They promise freedom, the, uh, the apostle says, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption, for you are a slave of whatever controls you. If your urges, if sin, if your fleshly nature is what's in charge of your life, if that's the controlling influence in your life, you're not free. You are ultimately enslaved. And they were promising, hey, just do what you want. You'll be free. There's not going to be any of accountability. Don't worry about it. But in the process, they lead people to a path of slavery to their own desires. 
This is the way he goes on to describe it. This is the message translation of verse 20. If they've escaped from the slum of sin by experiencing our master and savior, Jesus Christ, and then slid back into that same old life again, they're worse than if they had never left. The idea there is that it's kind of like you get a taste of freedom. You get a taste of that promise of being set free from the sins in your life. But then these false teachers were leading them back into the muck, sliding back into those behaviors because of their false teaching. Now, this is not, it sounds almost a grant on the, on the, on first impression that it means that a person can become a follower of Jesus, be transformed from the inside out, and then lose that salvation. But that is not, I don't think, what it's talking about there. It's more like that they have heard about the gospel and heard just enough to understand maybe a little bit and maybe kind of fit in with the church crowd and the Jesus followers for a little bit, but in the end get drawn back away. And the Apostle John in 1 John describes it like this. They go out from us, and by doing so, it shows that they really weren't a part of us. Now, we as humans cannot see the interior of a person's soul. We can never know where they are. But here's what we do know, that a person who becomes a follower of Jesus, it's not just a decision that they make, it's a transformation that God works in them. Over and over again, the scriptures testify this. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Uh, what is it? Philippians 2, 6, I think, or 1, 13. It's in Philippians. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus the whole idea of being born again, of being a follower of Jesus, is that you are transformed from the inside out. The testimony of the prophets, Ezekiel, I will give them a new heart and I will give them, uh, remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. It's a total transformation from the inside out. But if you hear the gospel and don't have that experience, then it's almost as if you're inoculated against the true gospel. They get started or maybe take a step in the right direction, but the teaching of the false teachers and their example is pulling them back. And it's saying it's, it'd, be, it'd be better if they just didn't have that exposure at first than to, than to get started on that journey and then make a U-turn and fall back into it because it just makes it even that much harder to turn things around and to understand the gospel in its fullness. And Peter actually makes this point that this isn't people who have become something new and then slid back into the old. It's just showing that they were never transformed in the first place. He says that in the last verse of this passage, they prove the truth of this proverb. A dog returns to its vomit and another says a washed pig returns to the mud. What he's saying there is, look, it's this. This is what dogs do. They they uh, they purge themselves of the corruption that is within them 
but they're still drawn back to it. And this is what pigs do. They wallow in the mud. So you can give them a bath and scrub them up, but they're going to, left to their own devices, return to the mud. What's he saying? He's saying these false teachers, they're promising you freedom, but they themselves are enslaved. They're saying this is the way, but they have never even been on the path. They are unchanged. And therefore, you need to avoid the false doctrine and their unethical examples because they are not truly transformed. But the promise of the gospel is that you can change your nature. A leopard with the gospel can change its spots. You can become a new creation. You do not have to be ruled by your passions anymore. You can receive the gift of self-control. You can be forgiven for the past and you can let God write a new ending to your story. For every person who says yes to Jesus, who experiences that inward transformation, a new heart and a new mind, you have a new story and a new destiny. So that's why we always encourage you to say yes to Jesus. Again, what are you saying? You're saying yes to the forgiveness that he purchased for you on the cross. Your guilt forgiven, your, your sins washed away. You're also saying yes to Jesus as the Lord or the master. That He's the boss. He gets to call the shots in your life and you are going to submit to his authority. You are going to submit to his authority. That's what it means to commit your life to Jesus. And if you are doing that right now for the first time, let us celebrate with you because it's the best decision you'll ever make and let us resource you as you begin your new life in Christ. How can you do that? Just text YES to our church number 603-225-2550 so that we can know what's going on with you and help you along in your spiritual journey. Because as a follower of Jesus, God's design and desire for you is for you to grow, to make progress. You have been purged of the corruption within. You've been washed and scrubbed up. So you're, you're gonna keep going in that new direction because God has changed you from the inside out. He wants you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we wrap up, I want to give you a little bit of uh, coaching and help in how to apply what we have heard today. We've seen that sin repackaged as freedom is still slavery. And the Apostle Peter is writing to his congregations because he doesn't want them to be trapped in that old life. He wants them to be set free and he wants them to recognize and reject that those false promises of freedom. And so that's what our application is, is to examine our own lives and see where are the, where are the places where we've been promised freedom, but in ways that are really only going to result in slavery. We want to get good at recognizing those lies and then get good at rejecting those false promises of freedom. One example is in 
selflessness versus selfishness. There's a lie out there that says that if you just do what you want and please yourself, you're going to be happy. But the gospel promises that in serving others, in being others-centered, that's where true freedom lies. Jesus modeled that when he laid aside all the privileges and powers of heaven to show up in our world, the very event, his advent that we celebrate at the Christmas season. He went to the cross, dying for the sins of others, sins that he did not commit, accepting the punishment that he did not deserve. It was a selfless act. And we as his followers are called to that same kind of other-centered, selfless, sacrificial kind of life. And what we will find is if we start living in an other-centered way rather than a self-centered way, we will find the fulfillment that we are looking for. So recognizing that selflessness, others-centeredness is the path is going to help us to experience the kind of freedom that we want. Uh, and then what's the controlling influence in your life? The Apostle Paul encouraged the church at Ephesus to be filled with the Spirit. And what is he saying there? He's saying, I want God's Holy Spirit living and residing in you to be the controlling influence in your life, not your not your physical desires, not your lusts, not your not your longings. Let God's Spirit be the controlling influence in your life. If you do, that leads to freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But if we allow our own instincts to drive our life and to be in control, we're going to experience slavery. Uh, and also, this is a good way of protecting yourself from predatory leaders in any uh, aspect of the world. Look at them. What are they promising? What is their lifestyle? What is the fruit of their teaching? How do they act? Is it, if they're in a position of authority, are they leveraging that authority for the benefit of those under their authority? Or are they using it as a way to, uh, to meet their own desires for pleasure? Are they using people in order to satisfy their greed? When you look at the leaders and you're considering, do I want to follow this person? These kinds of insights will give you the discernment that you need. Just to be honest, look, is this leader the kind of leader that I need to follow? Or is this the kind that I need to run away from? recognize and reject those false promises of freedom in your life. What would it be like if you getting started on this journey were constantly building on what you've been given? What would it be like if every one of us was growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, making progress? If we were recognizing and living the fact that we have the gift of self-discipline, of self-control, that we can do the things that God has given us to do because he has made divine promises, promises straight 
from the throne of heaven, that we can participate in the divine nature, godliness, his character is within our reach because of the gift of salvation given in Christ Jesus. What would it be like if we were other-centered? What would it be like if we recognized false teaching and false teachers right away? That all of us were living in such a way that we were constantly making progress and growing and that people who were controlled by their instincts, controlled by evil intent, never even could find a hearing in our midst because we are so aware of the truth and so living in the freedom that Jesus bought for us on the cross. I believe that that's his desire. And I know that it is his shepherd's heart as the good shepherd to warn us, to tell us the truth, and then he empowers us to walk in the truth. That's the promise that we have, the promise of freedom. And it's not an empty promise, but one that he fulfills day in and day out. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Lord, that we have true freedom in him, that the ones that the sun sets free are free indeed. I pray that you would help all of us to identify those lies that we've believe, been believing, the ways that we need to reject the false promises and false teaching and embrace the truth. I pray that you would speak to every single person who's listening and watching and show them exactly what they need to do and how they need to respond to what we've heard today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.